Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by commandment of men. One more time. Therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. God, your word is blessed. I need the blessing. Would you come and bless me? And I pray that you would anoint me to preach this word like you gave it to me, God, with a prophetic unction. Anoint your people to receive the word with an open and humble heart. And God, I pray that when it's all said and done, you would be glorified. Your people would be edified and Satan be terrified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you, Sohi. Can we give it up to our awesome worship team today? He was awesome. And he's single, so just letting y'all know. Therefore, Lord, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is only taught by the commandment of men. This might be a little too old school for some of the young people, but we used to play a game outside without cell phones, and it was called kickball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can Google it when you get home. Uh, and we used to play this game called kickball, and you did not want to get beat. You didn't want to be the person who got picked last, because usually, and forgive my language, but usually if you got picked last, you were usually kind of chunkier. They assumed you were a little slower. So of course, I got picked last all the time. I wasn't chunky my whole life, but I did have a season. We all go through seasons, but we thank God it's a new season. Amen. <laughs> this fasting, I'm just like, Lord, let it go in Jesus' name. Just release it all. I know you said the fat belongs to you in Leviticus, and I'm giving it back to you. <laughs> but I remember getting picked last often because people would assume that I was probably slow or no good. And then you remember how we used to play kickball, not too rolling, not too bouncy, just a little bounce. And if they didn't pass it right, I see people looking at me crazy like, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. How many people went to public school? You know what I'm talking about. All right. Um, and you send it back. If they didn't send it right, you send it again. And I remember everybody would be shocked when they would pick me last and I would knock it out of the gate and start racing around the thing. And I wonder if God feels the same way. I wonder if we pick God last because we assume that he can't do what he promised that he can do and he surprises us every time. Yet and still we pick him last. I wonder if we look at God and we assume because he's not moving in the present moment in our situation, I wonder if we look at him and say, I'll trust my finances first. I'll trust my wife first. I'll trust my children's future first. I'll trust my 401k plan. And if all of that runs out, I guess I have nothing else to do but to pray. Friend, your first option was to pray. And I believe the first thing that God wants to do is that he wants to be first in your heart. The title of this message is The First Place God. Because the thing about God is that whether you like it or not, whether you accept him or not, he refuses to be anything but first in your life. The Bible tells me that for some he will be a rock of offense and for others he'll be a cornerstone. It all depends on how you receive Jesus. 
That's why some can hear the name Jesus and tears begin to well down their eyes. Sweat drops down their arms and they get chills all over their body because they've seen him in a way where he's glorious. And then you have other people who don't even believe that he exists because it all has to de depend on where your heart disposition is. And for many of us in the church, we have allowed God to be last in our thought process, in our heart process. But nonetheless, he's still first. That's why he ruins everything until you put him first. This is why the relationships don't work out until you put him first. This is why the career options don't work out. And God's mercy will destroy everything in his way to be first in your life because it's his grace. And the sad part is because we don't have discernment, because we don't pray, because we don't have faith, because if we had faith, we would pray. And if we would pray, we would gain in discernment. We don't even know when it's God taking away something. And so we start praying for stuff that God wants to take from us. You start praying for stuff that God says, I'm not actually going to give you. And we think that God is our prostitute. That we can give him a little 10% and he has to do whatever we want. No, God is God. He's the main character. You and I are supporting actors. And at the end of the day, it's not about you and I. It's all about his glory. And so if you have to suffer, he doesn't mind. Now, I, I'm going to preach a different gospel to you because I know you heard that this fluffy, rainbow-haired, uh, blonde-eyed, uh, you know, blue-eyed uh, Jesus just wants to love everybody. And yes, he is full of grace, but he, when he comes back, the scripture says that he's coming with a sword out of his mouth that's dripping with blood and tattoos on his thigh that say faithful and true. There's another side to him. There's a ferocious side. And as much as he is a loving father, he is to be feared as a judge. But here's the thing, and I was teaching this to our core team, that God's judgment always leads to redemption. So, so we get scared of the judgment of God, not recognizing that the judgment of God leads us back to repentance. It's supposed to lead us back. Okay, you want proof. I'll give you proof. First Samuel chapter 5, it talks about the Philistines, and the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. As long as the children of Israel had the presence of God, everything was straight. But somehow the presence of God had gotten stolen by the Philistines. The Bible says that they took the, they took the Ark of the Covenant and placed it next to their God called Dagon. And in the morning when they came, they saw Dagon's arms and head had fallen off because whether you like it or not, he will not sit side by side with another. Yeah. He, won't even, he, he, he won't even be an addendum to the things in your life. He refuses to play second chair. And here's the sad thing that the Philistines did what most of us do when God destroys our idols. They built him again. <laughs> Yeah, I think God brings your ex back to see if you're still stupid. Mm -hmm. This is why we need discernment in this hour. Because some opportunities from your past are going to come back up. And you don't. And, and many times it's stuff that God was trying to destroy in your life. But because it's such an idol in your life, you don't have a discerning factor. And God will yet destroy it again. Y'all don't want to talk to me tonight, but I know that this is true. The Bible tells us that Dagon fell yet a second time because God will not be second chair to anybody. And so the question becomes, what is God after? Can I tell you what he's after? He wants to be first in your heart. He will not be second in your heart. He desires to be first in your heart. And it's because, I, I, this is what I think. I think the reason why God has no place in many of the hearts of those in the church of America is because we have gotten full on the carnality of this world that we no longer have an appetite for the spirit realm. We've gotten full. So we spend all night clubbing so we, can't, we don't have any energy to, to go to morning prayer. 
And then I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to sit back and go, oh, it's okay, just live your life. No friend, no friend, I've got to prophesy to you and tell you God is not pleased. God is desiring that we empty ourselves of the appetite of this world and become hungry for him and only him. And I want to ask you, have you made margin for God to be first in your life? Oh, I'm too tired to pray. What have you spent your energy doing that you don't have time to pray? Some of you prayed for the job, and now that you have a job, it's become an idol, and you can't serve. You, you can't lead. You can't pray. It's real quiet in this Catholic church, but this is the only message I got, and I'm preaching today. I believe the Church of America, not just us, but the Church of America has gotten so full on the carnality of this world that we have no appetite for the spirit realm. And so we, 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 we settle for doing the doable. Come on, let's sing a few songs. Christian karaoke, opening act, have an inspirational talk, make sure I sit on a stool so I can look cool, and then we're going to have a few donuts and coffee afterwards. Nobody gets changed. Nobody's convicted. Nobody gets set free. Those who walked in with cancer walk out with more cancer. You walked in with a headache, you're walking out with a migraine, and you're wondering why? It's because we've not placed God in the rightful place. We've replaced our crosses with, his lo with our logo. Don't look at our logo. <laughs> and instead of planting churches, we are franchising churches. It, it's a shame that I can go to your church in Sacramento and it's exactly the same as the church in Texas because we're franchising. There are different people. Do you see what I'm saying here? And it's because we've gotten good. Yeah, can I give you an example of what we've done? Do you remember the story where Uzzah touches the Ark of the Covenant when it's on the, the cart? And when he touches the Ark of the Covenant, it's because the Ark is falling. Here's the question. Where did they get the idea for the cart? Where did they get the idea from the cart? Because the cart had never showed up until this very first time. I'll tell you where they got the idea from the cart. The Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. They had gotten hemorrhoids because the presence of God for some is a blessing and for others it's a pain in the butt. Thank you. I appreciate it. You drove for this word. I know you want it. The rest of y'all, y'all can catch it later. And, and here's what happened. The Bible says that they attached it to a donkey or a horse or something, and they slapped it on a cart, and they sent it out to the open field for the children of Israel to have. The children of Israel looked at the fact that it was on a cart and must have thought to themselves, this is convenient, but the presence was never meant to be convenient. God was never meant to fit into your schedule. You were meant to fit into his. How can I find God? How can I put God into my... You can't downsize him into your schedule. And, and so here's the problem. Because the, the cart represents a system. And they look at the children, they look at the Philistines and say, they have facilitated the presence of God with this system. Let's do the same thing. But the ark was to be carried on the backs of priests because it was meant to be heavy. It was meant to be a burden. You ought to come to prayer because it should cost you something. It should cost you some. I know I'm preaching heavy today, but catch up with me. It should cost you something. It was meant. And here's the problem. We like to walk alongside of the ark. But we've not been called to walk alongside of the ark. We've been called to carry his presence. We've, we've not been called to just visit. Just come on, just visit into his glory. You shouldn't be experiencing his presence on Sunday only. You should be walking in his presence. And here's what we've done in the church. We've looked at the systems of the world and desired to carry the presence of God on the systems of the world. And so we looked at McDonald's franchising everything. And we decided, and you don't, you, you don't even know this, but I go to leadership conferences and I promise you, it's the same teaching in the spiritual leadership conferences as it is in the business conferences. You can go to a pastoral conference and never be taught how to win souls. 
You can talk how to build systems, how to build leaders. I don't want to build leaders if we can't build Christians. In my head, when I was preparing this, I was like, they're going to be jumping up and down and shouting. Here's why we can't put God first in our heart. Because many of us have elevated our hearts to a place of idolization. We've allowed our emotions to become an idol. We have made idols out of how we feel, and we have to come, uh, and, and we have to, we have come to serve our feelings, and if we don't feel it, it must not be true. And if we do feel it, it must be true. And we have allowed our feelings to be our very idol. This is why God says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, but watch this, all of your mind. Here's why. Because sometimes your heart is going to lie to you, and so I need your mind, which knows the truth, which has scripture memorized, which believes it. I need your mind to make decisions that your heart is too weak to make. That's so good. There, I, I know you don't want to break up with her. And you're, I, I've been there. I've got you. I've got grace for you. I, I've been there. I've, I've sold. They call me a simp. I, I had, didn't even know what that was. I had to. to it's like your mama. Um, <laughs> let's edit that part out. All right. <laughs> so I, I know what it feels like. But I had to get to a place where I said, God, my head needs to make a decision that my heart is not strong enough for. And I know I don't feel it, but God, I know what the truth is. And when the facts are lying, I'm going to believe the truth. And so the doctor gives you a report and says you have cancer and you only have six months to live. I'm not faulting you when anxiety rises in your heart because you're a human. And so anxiety and fear is supposed to arise, but it's supposed to arise with a fight because in your mind, you're supposed to know the truth. I know the doctor said that you're sick in your body but Jesus said that healing is the children's bread and so if I know the truth I've got to oppose the lies that the facts bring so that the truth can come to I feel like preaching today because I am tired of us needing counseling we don't need counseling some of y'all need to fast no I, I mean I believe in counseling I think every Christian should have two therapists I think some of y'all are crazier than a Bessie bug you need a therapist but over on top of a therapist there are some things that therapy can't do that only the Holy Ghost can do and until you are transformed by the Spirit of God you will always be victim to how you feel so maybe God's not first because your feelings are I like to scare people. I'm going to teach you how to scare people. Next time they ask you how you're doing, tell them. That's how you scare Christians. Just tell them the truth. This is how I feel. But when you tell them how you feel, make sure you make sure to mention that you know what the truth is. I feel sad today, but I just know the joy of the Lord is my strength. I feel broken today but I know that God is my healing and my wholeness. You've got to allow your mind to cause your heart and its feelings to surrender to the will of God. And so I know it doesn't feel good to you, but it's good for you. Thank you, thank you, sister, I appreciate it. One black person who's gonna help me out. Kelly, where you at? Um, you know. The question becomes now, why is it that we can't even trust our heart? Because I, I want to get our heart together. Because God is not afraid of your emotions. Yeah. I was raised in the church where they lied to us. Yeah. And they told us that God doesn't want your emotions and your faith shouldn't be emotional. Shut. 
Slapping myself. What relationship is void of emotions? An unhealthy relationship. You're supposed to have emotions. The thing is, your emotions need to be redeemed. Your heart needs to be redeemed. All right, you need scripture. I see the way you're looking at me. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the Lord knows my heart. I know. I have young people tell me that all the time. It's like, you need to get out of that lustful relationship. Well, the Lord just knows my heart. I know, it's deceitful. The problem is you don't know your heart. And many, oh, come here. I got a good word for you. Many of you can't get your breakthrough because you're not willing to be honest enough to get your breakthrough. You're not willing to be honest about how you feel, about how angry you are, about how mad you are, about how stuck up you are, about how egotistical or arrogant. You got to be, I'm pretty sure God is sick of me. Because he, he gets way too much truth. He's like, dude, I know already, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's like, here's, here's where I'm at because my breakthrough is there. But many of us don't know the truth of our heart because it's deceitful. And we'll allow our heart to deceive us into behaving in a way that's not been called by God. Some of the things that you feel just are not true. All right, let me try a few more points. So what's the solution? Because we're trying to get God in our heart. We want him to be first place in our heart. But the problem is there's no space for him in there. So how do I, how, how can God be uh, first in your heart when, when you've got your family in every room in your, the house of your heart? You've got your boyfriend in the house of your heart. You've got the company in the house of your heart. You've got your dreams and aspiration and there's no space for God. So, so I want to teach you how to keep your heart pure. I want to teach you how to keep your heart in a place where God is willing to come in and he's able to come in. Here's how you do it. Write this down. Guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Another scripture says, as a man thinks, so is he. What it's telling us is that what's internal will become externalized. And so that's why you've got to keep a healthy heart. You have to guard your heart because however your heart is, the position that it's in, that's how you're going to live. And so guard your heart. So that's why um, you get sad in your heart, you get down, and people can tell that you're sad. Why? Because it's a principle that your heart will expose you. It'll expose you through your mouth. It'll expose you through your actions. If you ever want to know where somebody's heart is, just get them to talk a little bit. So we've got to guard our heart so that God has a place in our heart. And I don't know what you're asking. You're saying, how do I guard my heart? Number one, fast. Fast regularly. Now, we're in a season of fasting. Some of y'all aren't even fasting during this first 21 days, and you're going to come six months later, and I need a breakthrough. You should have got it in January. I can't really, I can't really hear God. I can't, I, it's, his voice is not clear to me. It's because you have clutter, and you need to learn how to fast. My flesh just gets the best of me. I just can't stop watching pornography. I can't have, stop having sex. I can't stop drinking. It's because your flesh has been able to rule your life. Your heart has been able to lead your life. And so what fasting does, one of the things that fasting does, is that it doesn't change God's heart, it changes yours. Like a chiropractic, like a chiropractor. It gets your heart aligned rightly with the Lord. And you need to learn how to fast and fast often. Don't let these 21 days be the last time you fast this year. Find another day to fast. And I'm not talking about social media, and I believe, you know, some of us need to pull away from social media and all those different things. But biblical fast is not eating. And aren't we, we, we're just so, you know, sad. We think if we don't eat for a day, I'm, I'm just going to die. I'm, I'm going to die. 
It's like, excuse me, man, you are pressed down, shaking together, and running over. You are not going to die missing a couple meals. What's going to die is your flesh. What's going to die is your carnal mindset. But watch this, because I taught this a couple weeks ago. Don't fast without praying, because that's called a diet. So number two, how do I guard my heart? i got to learn how to pray. And I'm not talking about those cute little prayers. If your prayer life, I, I love, I was watching, um, I was picking on Sarah a little bit, uh, because I'm just watching her prayer life. The authority in her voice and in her tone and, in, and how she prays, it's just rising up. If you're still praying the same way you were praying 10 years ago, grow up. I know I'm, I'm preaching harder than I normally do, but some of you need a hard word. You, you need to grow up spiritually. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do this. Well, guess what Google does? <laughs> it's so funny. When we want to do something, I know people who had no idea how to start a podcast, but they Googled it and learned how to start a podcast. But when it comes to prayer, it's like, come on, can you just, just give it to me? Just feed me. Just, you know who gets fed in my house? The, the babies and the disabled. Huh. Which one are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. From the end of the earth will I cry unto you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. I want to ask you, when your heart is overwhelmed, where do you go? Do you go to prayer? Is that your first option? Or do you go to a friend, an accountability partner? All that's good, but they should be secondary. The first one you should go to is the Lord. When my heart is overwhelmed, he didn't say lead me to Benny Hinn. He didn't say lead me to Bethel up in Reading. I'm going to save you some gas. Go into your closet, close the door, and seek the Lord. Because I'm telling you, the reason anxiety is so high is because prayer is so low. And prayerlessness is the large, I don't know who said this, so I can't uh, give him the credit, but prayerlessness is the biggest sign of faithlessness. Why? Because if you believe that God would answer, you would pray. But maybe our anxieties are signs of where we stop trusting God. Where we need to come back. I'm telling you, I know this is a hard word, but God's trying to get us together because there's a great move that he's trying to get. And some of us have been focused on the wrong things. And it's time to come back to prayer. And I'm not just talking about a minute a day to keep the devil away. That's good to start off with. But you need to cultivate a prayer life that's not only qualitative, but also quantitative. You've got to learn how to spend time with God. Live in that. And here's why. Some of us are scared of the tension. But it's in the tension that you start growing. It's in the tension. Some of you, I, I know it's hard. I, I, I used to be like that. I know it's hard to turn off the music and just sit in silence. But some of you just need to sit in silence for a while so that God can expose your heart. Some of you, the reason you want to turn it up so much all the time is because you're afraid of what your heart might tell you. How does that get exposed? It gets exposed in the place of prayer. There's stuff in the place of prayer that God will deal with you and your pastor won't have to because I'm going to deal with you. But there's a place. <laughs> Somebody said facts. <laughs> Jonathan Castro's back. <laughs> it's like the place, I know who it was, the place of prayer. The place of prayer is one of the ways that we learn to guard our hearts because whatever you feel, you start taking it to the Lord and you regulate your heart. You don't let your heart regulate you. Your emotions are not bad. Prayer just gets them aligned with God. Thank you. I worked hard on this. Number three, how do I guard my heart? By declaring, watch this, and submitting to truth. Some of us are good at declaring it and saying it, knowing it, but we're not good at living it. 
Can I tell you who had a problem with this in the scriptures? He's the main character. His name was Jesus. If Jesus struggled with it, that gives me hope. When did Jesus struggle with declaring and believing the truth? He is in the garden. And Luke tells us that he got so full of anxiety or whatever it was that sweat began to turn into beads of blood. And he's sitting in front of an olive tree seeking the Father. And he's saying, God, I don't want to do this. Yeah, you thought he wanted to do it. He said, no, no, if there's any way out of this, let me get out now. But then he says, nevertheless. And everybody needs a truth of nevertheless. you got to get to the place where this is how I feel, but nevertheless. I, I feel like I'm going to die because the doctor said I only got a few weeks to live. But this is what the truth of the word of God is, nevertheless. God, I'm afraid of, of being single my whole life. But here's the truth of the God that you are more than enough for me. And I believe and I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to delete some of these apps. I, somebody know this true story. Somebody came to me and said, God's called me to a single a season of singleness. I said, give me your phone. Give me your phone. I have five dating apps on it. <laughs> You've declared the truth. You haven't submitted to it. See, you think knowing the truth is what sets you free. John chapter 8, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, not until it's done with you. And you and I think that truth is knowledge, truth is a person. And many of us are not submitted to truth who is Jesus. Let me tell you, even in that chapter, if you go back home and you read John chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and the children of Israel, and he's saying, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And you know what their response is? We have never, we are sons of Abraham. We have never been in bondage. Come here, Israel. Anybody who's known the Bible for a couple minutes, you know that they were in captive uh, by all the ites. The Jebusites, the Canaanites, the Cellulites. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, they were in captivity to Rome at the very time. And they can't be honest enough to get their breakthrough. Knowing the truth in terms of knowledge is not enough. Believing the truth, having an intimate relationship with truth, and submitting to truth is what sets you free. It's not enough to know that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. You have to submit to the truth, and that's what sets you free. I remember when I was, uh, as some of you know my testimony, I struggled with pornography and sexual addiction for years. And when I was trying to get off of uh, pornography addiction, I remember the Bible says flee from youthful lust. Some of us like passively walk like a, no, but the Bible says flee from you. And so I took that for what it was and I was going to submit to the truth. No, this one, I was trying to be funny, but this one time a girl came in and her cleavage, you know, her blessed assurances were out. And um, I just literally turned around and started running. Everybody thought I was crazy. I was like, that's probably not what the Lord meant. But I got serious about getting free. And so I took my computer and I moved it to the living room in my family's house. I was a teenager. And I said, no, I'm not going to have this bondage for the rest of my life. I'm going to hold myself accountable. No, no pastor is going to have to hold me accountable. I'm going to hold myself accountable to the truth of what I know. Back then, we had a, uh, a membership that you could buy from X Church. And they were an accountability software. And you could sign five people up to keep you accountable. One of them was my pastor. And another one was a spiritual mom. Those were awkward conversations. So I saw your history this week. So you did. <laughs> Are you going to start or should I start? But I was so vigilant about it 
And it wasn't about shaming because shame never motivates you into God's grace. But it was about me living out in the open and living honestly. Some of us, a heart has led us to living in an isolated place. And God's saying, come back home. Some of you have been kind of dating our church and just trickling in here and there. And, and you're afraid because you've been hurt in churches before. How is isolation working out for you? It's not enough just to know the truth. It's not enough to just declare the truth. You've got to believe and submit to truth. You've got to submit to, you, to, to what you know to be true. So how do we guard our heart? Number one, you fast. Number two, you pray. Number three, you learn how to declare and submit to truth. But number four, this is a big one. You got to learn boundaries. What does boundaries have to do with guarding your heart? The reason why God has no space in your heart is because you've let everybody else in. And so some of you can't obey the Lord because the Lord's not first in your heart. Your parents are. Some of you can't obey what God's calling you to do because God's not first in your heart. Your finances are. God's not first in your heart. Your business is. Your children are. And God is saying that it's time to set up healthy boundaries in your life so that people don't get more space that belongs to God. There are spaces in your heart that should not be devoted to your husband, shouldn't be devoted to your spouse. There should be a place in your heart that should be only for God. And it's called number one. And we have to start learning how to say yes to the right things, learning how to say no to the right things so that God. So, so what does this look like in an everyday? Let's take morning prayer because I really want you all to come out to morning prayer. It's been so good. But some of us spend all Friday night. You know what I do on Friday night? I go to bed at eight o'clock, nine o'clock. That is extremely early for me. I'm usually going to sleep at three in the morning. But I don't want to just be awake when I come to prayer. I want to be full of energy. And y'all don't like this, huh? And I want to be vibrant because many of us are used to giving God the minimum. I guess I'm going to just come. I'm going to just pray. I'm not going to pray out loud. I'm going to let everybody else make it awkward. And I'm going to just sit there. Maybe Kelly will pray for a long time. And she will. (laughs) What would happen? Watch this. Write this down. The word margin. What would happen if you would create margin in your life? So that God could have first place in your heart. What does that look like in your life? And I, don't, I, don't, I can't come up with enough examples to make it fit for your life specifically. But you know, if you sit down and you're honest, you know where God's not first in your heart. And you know where you need to let him be first in your heart. What do you need to do in your life in a tangible way so that God can be first? Maybe you don't need a prophecy. Maybe you need an alarm clock. So you can wake up 30 minutes earlier so you can pray. Maybe, maybe you don't need somebody to lay hands on you. Maybe you don't need deliverance. Maybe you need to just tell them no. Well, what if they don't like me? In the words of my grandmother, don't let the doorknob hit you with a little good Lord split you. See, this is what Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 means. It's saying guard your heart above all else. It's saying to have boundaries. Now, watch this. There is a difference between guarding your heart and hardening your heart. Because some of you have hardened your heart thinking that you were guarding it. Nobody's going to hurt me again. Yeah, let's get real for a minute. How do you know that your heart is guarded? I'm going to give you two ways to know that your heart is guarded. One, you're walking in hyper-independence. Or two, you're walking numb. 
I'm going to say that one more time. How do you know your heart has hardened and not guarded? Number one, it's because you have hyper-independence. Or number two, it's because you've grown numb. And so hyper-independence, I don't need anybody. You know what that means? You've been hurt by bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just don't need anybody. I don't need to. I hear people say this all the time. I don't need to commit to a church. I don't need to commit to fellowship with a church. You know, it's not about organized religion except for Jesus in the scriptures. Or excuse me, Apostle Paul, I think it was, somebody in the scriptures <laughs> said, forsake not the fellowship of the brethren. It's in there somewhere between Genesis and Revelation. <laughs> but here's why we walk in hyper-independence, because we're afraid of getting disappointed again. And we didn't guard our heart when we set expectations for people, places, and things before. And because they let us down, now we've decided we're going to harden our heart. And I'm just going to be in a place where I don't need anybody. You know, that's why I'm working overtime the way I'm working, because I'm never going to be in financial lack again. No, I'm not give 10%. I'm not giving no 10%. I need to make sure that I have more than enough. It's all about me, and it's the religion of humanism, the worship of ourself, and we become hyper-independent. Now, that's some of us, but then there are others of us who have hardened our heart in a way where we're not hyper-independent. We're just numb. We don't feel. You can't hurt me. <laughs> I've closed that part of my heart down. And I, I begin to tell people this as we come into community. Some of you are coming into community, but you refuse to allow people to hurt you. Have you, have you gotten close enough to people that they can hurt you? Look how quiet it is in here. Sicky, sicky now. <laughs> I had somebody text me a couple weeks ago in our community, and they were saying, Pastor Dell, this didn't work out in my feelings. Where I said, that's part of relationships. Yeah. You get hurt, yeah. but don't go numb. Don't go into not feeling pain. Cry a little. Laugh a little. Some of, you, some of you, when I say go numb, I don't mean that you can't feel pain. Some of you can't feel joy. So we sing, we stand and lift up our hands, and you're sitting and sitting on your hands. <laughs> and you've gone numb. And the opportunity for joy is there, but you refuse to open up the doors of your heart to let it in. Because what if it comes and it goes again? I'm not going down to the altar this time because I went last time. I'm tired of the cycle, and so I'm just sitting here. And if I just don't feel anything, then I'll be all right. Friend, your heart has been hardened. Some of you are single because your heart's hardened and not guarded. I've been hurt by men, so I'm, psh, screw men. Well, don't screw men, but <laughs> after marriage, then I'm fasting two weeks in. Let's blame it on the fast. But I, I, know, I know men and women who aren't open to marriage because, oh, I'm just, no, I'm not getting married. It's different if you say, if God has it for me, I've been called to celibacy. That's, that's a different thing. But some of us have been so hurt in a relationship. No, I'm not going to get married. I'm not having kids. I'm not, because nobody's going to hurt me. I'm just going to be numb and I'm not going to feel. Yeah. And you don't realize that your heart has hardened. And not guarded. The scariest thing is that your, your heart can be hardened even against the Lord. Because God promised me. And it didn't happen in the way that I thought it would happen. When I thought it would happen. So I don't want another prophecy. Screw your prophecy. I'm going to come to church because I don't want to go to hell. But I'm not going to get too engaged. I'm not going to get too involved. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to really pray. I'm not going to. Because I'm just going to be here. Because if I don't feel, then I can't get hurt. How's it working out for you? Look at my next point. If they don't say amen, move on. Okay. Um, 
So the two ways that you see that your heart is hardened instead of guarded, because the goal is to guard it, not to harden it. In every, even, even in your theology and what you believe about God, I have people say, I just know God would never. How do you, you don't even know why your nose itches. You know God. <laughs> I, I hear people build up these theologies like cement walls. All of your theology should have windows in the walls because you might be wrong. But some of us are so afraid that we just harden around our theology. This is what we've known. This is what we believe. And that's it. And that's no, no, no. Here's what God said. I will give you a heart of flesh. Some of us have hard, stony hearts. Let me pause for a second because I feel like somebody needs to hear this. I know it's scary. I know it's scary to feel again. I know it's scary to believe again. I know it's scary to get your hopes back up again. But what if it works? See, that's what faith is. Faith says, I'm not sure, but I'm going to live in the vulnerability of the tension of maybe. And just maybe this might work. There were four lepers who had been outcasted from the children of Israel after the Syrian army had surrounded them. And and they said to themselves, if we stay here, we're going to perish and die. Let's go to the enemy's camp and possibly... They will be merciful to us. That maybe is the tension of faith. I don't know if it's going to work out this time at this church, but I'm going to try it. I've been hurt at the last three churches I've been to, but I'm going to try it in this one. Maybe, maybe. And the Bible says that when they get up there, that the camp is completely empty and the the enemy had fled and all their stuff had been left behind. Why? Because... I'm a preacher right here. When four lepers had started marching with that maybe kind of faith up into the mountain to the enemy's camp, the Bible says that the enemy didn't hear four lepers, that they heard an army coming up. And they said to themselves, the children of Israel, they must have hired, I'm going to get to this multiplication word right here, that his children of Israel must have hired neighboring armies. But what they didn't know is that they had the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the number one most used name for God in the Bible. You know what it means? It means that he is the owner, the ruler of the armies and so I've got good news for you that if you'll take the little bit of faith that you have God's going to multiply it in this season I know your maybe faith doesn't feel like much but I'm telling you that little five minute prayer that you do every day God's going to multiply it that little bible writing reading devotional that you do every day God's going to multiply it in this season that's what multiplication is all about he's going to multiply your sound I'm looking around at Goliath and we may not be large we may not be a mega church but I'm telling you that God don't yell, Dale. God is multiplying our sound. I'm getting emails from people all around the world saying, I heard this message and we tuned into that service and God did this for me. Why? We're just a little podunk church in Newark, California trying to get to Fremont. We can't even get there, but we'll keep going by faith and God's multiplying every step. We're not meeting in the sanctuary. It's all right. It got better in here. He's multiplying every step. You're saying, how is that? Settle down. He said, Jesus said to the disciples, if you want to move the mountain, all you need is what? Faith the size of what? I thought my whole life, because many of us know the word of God without the tone. So I thought God was being harsh. You don't even have mustard seed faith. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, you got enough. You just got to use what you got. So you got to use, I'm going to preach that one day. You got to use what you got. 
Because some of us keep looking at our little, and you don't understand that he's the God who makes much out of little. He'll take a couple of loaves of bread and some fish, and he'll feed a mega church with it. Why? He don't need much. All he needs is a little bit of maybe tension, faith. It is time to allow God to move in the tension of maybe. Somebody shout maybe. Come on, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't, but I'm going to live in the tension of maybe. Maybe I'll get healed, maybe I won't get healed, but I'm going to live in the maybe of tension. Maybe the business will start, maybe it won't, but I'm going to live in the tension of maybe. I refuse to live a faithless life. I refuse to be an unbelieving believer. Mom, are you with me? I need some help over here. You got, okay, good. Uh, you, we got to get to the place where we are okay with the unknown. Let go. Release control. You don't have to know everything. I think half the time why God doesn't tell us everything is because we would mess it up. I'm almost done. Last two scriptures. Are you catching something tonight? Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Here's what it says. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch these people draw near with me, with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And here's what the Lord spoke to me this week, and this is why I'm preaching. He said, I have a lot of people in the body who look right, but are not right. I'm not preaching condemnation today. I'm trying to get you out of living in that low level. And some of us, we know how to worship. We know how to pray right. My question is, what's happening in your heart? Is he first in your heart? He can be first in your calendar and still not be first in your heart. You can give him 60% of your bank account and he'll still not be first in your heart. Being first in your heart, how do I say it? Here's the scary part. He says, look at the last part of that verse. He says, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. It took me a minute to study this because I really want to understand the concept. What Isaiah is prophesying here, he's saying, they, they look like they're right, but their heart is far from me. And then that last part, it says, the only way that they know the fear is by the commandments of men. It's saying, this is where condemnation comes from. Because they know how to behave. Because men have taught them how to behave. So you know not to have sex. You know not to, to cheat. You know not to lie. You know not to steal. But... Is your heart pleased in the lifestyle that you're living? Are you walking around grumbling and complaining? He says, the only way that they follow the fear of the Lord is by the commandments of men. I want to ask you, does it require your pastor to lead you for you to go deeper in God? Hmm. I feel like I'm helping at least three people in the room. Because some of us are sitting here waiting for instructions to go deeper in God. Why? What? What? I don't have a physical Bible, but if I did, I'd pretend like I was flipping through it. Find me a verse that says you have to wait for permission to go after God. You don't have to wait for permission. I wish you would. You have permission to worship. (laughs) Rather ask forgiveness than permission, man. And some of us, the only way that we know to live by God is by the commandments of men. The only way we know the fear of the Lord is if somebody's teaching us. If, if this is the only word that you're getting, it's a good word. I promise you, I'm a good preacher. I listen to my own sermons to myself a tithe and bless myself. But if this is all that you're getting and all of the instructions of your life is coming from leadership, does your heart know him? I believe in the hierarchy of church leadership. I believe it's set in place, that God set it in place. We see bishops and elders and deacons. But at the end of the day, do you only know him because the system teaches you to know him? 
Or do you, do you know him because when you wake up, he's the first thing on your mind? Or do you know him because if you go too long without praying, you start itching and you know something's off and something's wrong. Do you know him out of your heart's desire? See, see, there's a scripture in Psalm. It says, those who delight themselves of, in the Lord, he will give them the desires of their heart. You think God's going to give you the desires of your heart if your heart is wicked? Well, how does God give me the desires of your heart? Part one, delight yourself in the Lord. Do you take joy in his presence? <laughs> or is it a burden for you? See, some of us, let's be real. Some of us aren't coming to prayer, not because we don't have the time, not because we can't wake up. We just can't imagine praying for an hour and a half. But I'm telling you, we got, well, I don't know where Shiloh is, but she's 13 years old. And I watched her the other day rocking back and forth. I was looking at Caroline, who's only been walking with the Lord for a little bit of time now. I was watching her pray and intercede. I'm watching, I'm watching Sarah get up and pray and intercede. And you're saying, well, let me tell you, the enemy has been lying to you. The heart is deceitful. And the only way you get the desires of your heart is that you learn to delight in the Lord. When he commands you to drop the relationship, is it a, or is it a, oh, okay, guess you got something better. I feel like I should have gotten at least two amens off of that one. Parents, when God tells you to just release your kids, just let them go, let them live. And all the kids said, Amen. When the Lord speaks that to you, is it a grumbling and complaining or is it a delight? Have you learned how to delight yourself in the Lord? Well, how do I get to that place of delight? Because how many of us have opened up the scriptures, we've opened up the Bible and we've gone, <laughs> come on, don't lie to me. I'm prophetic. I'll call you out right now. I get it. How many of us have gone to pray? You pray for every nation, every family members, and it's only two minutes. Why? Because God wants you to go from discipline to desire. See, you have tasted what the world has. Your taste buds aren't ready for what God has to give you. This is, oh, this is so good, Kelly. Watch this. This is why the children of Israel, before they could leave Egypt and get into the promised land, they had to go through the desert. Why? One is because of their disobedience. And some of us, we don't realize this, uh, the, the desert should have only taken them 40 days. But their rebellion made it take 40 years. Some of you are in tests longer than God mandated for you to be in because he's waiting for a yes. That was, amen, Bishop. That was good right there. I blessed myself. Yeah. <laughs> I gave myself a new title. Um, <laughs> but did you notice that there are three different diets in the three different locations? Yeah. And the most boring one is in the desert? Because the children of Israel, we know what their diet was in the Egypt because they start getting delivered. And when you start getting delivered, see, we talk about deliverance like it's fun. <laughs> Oh, man, we, God, we just want you to deliver. Step back. Deliverance is ugly. If Lazarus was here, he would say he stinketh in the King James Version. Deliverance smells. It's not pretty. And a lot of times when we start going through, well, listen, when we start going through real deliverance, we want to go back to the Egypt we came from. And here's what the enemy will do to you. He'll give you a misperception of what it was like in Egypt. Because what did they say? They looked at Moses and said, have you brought us out to the wilderness that we could die? Because... Church people have been complaining since the beginning, right? If you brought us in the wilderness so we could die, he said, we should have died in Egypt because at least we had leeks and melons and all these different... You want to go back into slavery because they had a good buffet. Yeah. And the enemy will lie to you. He'll make you think the sex was amazing. You used to go all day and on, and maybe it was two minutes. Nobody enjoyed it. Y'all are looking like y'all don't know what sex is. Most of y'all in this room have had it. Don't play me. 
The enemy will make you start, oh, your club days. He'll make you remember all the glory days. It was wild. He won't remind you that you used to wake up in your throw up. Yeah. He, he won't remind you that you used to wake up next to people that you didn't know their names and full of shame. Amen. Yeah, he'll remind you of the good parts, but he, he'll remind you of, of the leeks and the onions. He won't remind you of the bondage. Because he wants you to go back to where you came from. And the only way the enemy can lose is if you give up. And so he'll start tempting you. Come on back. Come back to your old ways of dysfunction. Come back to your old ways of pain and hurt. And here's what God is saying. I need you to keep going because Canaan is coming. Now watch this. Leeks and melons in Egypt. Milk and honey in the promised land. But what was in the desert? Manna. You know what manna is? It tastes like nothing. I've made it. The Bible gives you the ingredients, coriander seed, flour, all this different stuff. I've made it. It tastes like absolutely nothing. So I ain't mad at the children of Israel. Come on, 40 years, I'd be like, um, can we at least get some garlic naan? Garlic manna? <laughs> Come on, hook it up, Lord. Toast a little cheese on top. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But what is God doing? Here's what God is doing. Let me tell you what God is doing in your deliverance. He's making you bored again. <laughs> you didn't see that point coming, did you? Because your breakthrough is in the boredom. You keep trying to fill your schedule with excitement, and God keeps trying to get you to steal away. Even during this consecration, some of you haven't even spent more time with God, haven't been able to steal away. You've just been feeling distracted by the things of this world. No wonder you can't hear clearly from God. But you can tell me what Kim Kardashian is doing. No shade. Because I know she was going to think that was directed to her. No, it wasn't. <laughs> she likes Kim Kardashian. So does Kanye West, by the way. Um, <laughs> my brain. <laughs> I get to eat today, so I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm coming for that rice. Here's what God does in the desert seasons. He changes your taste buds. Because he does not want you coming into Canaan with an Egyptian mindset. The reason you can't get into a relationship yet is because Egypt, you're not done dating Egypt. And so God's giving you a Canaan man, but you keep looking at him like Egypt because you didn't go through the desert season. (laughs) I wonder if God's trying to change your taste buds. If you have the same taste buds that you had when you were in the world, you haven't gone through the desert season yet. (laughs) If you still like the same music, oh, it's going to get quiet. And I know we went through a legalistic season where everybody said you can't listen to secular music. But what, what are you doing listening to music that glorifies stuff that messes up your spirit and your soul? Oh, I'm just listening to the beat. Do you realize that the enemy was the chief musician? What do you think? He's trying to get you to sing stuff that you would never say. And so no wonder your soul is so dysfunctional. You keep listening to sad, crybaby music. And some of you do it so you can cry a little bit more. Come on, let me get the right sad, emotional playlist. Look, y'all laughing because you know I'm right. So you can sit there and just cry a little bit more. And listen, I'm not talking about not expressing, express your emotions, but make sure you land on truth. Make sure that when you're done playing Casey and JoJo or whatever the white people and Asian people listen to, like when you're done listening to your music from the 90s, make make sure you say, Lord, come, we are not in a hurry, come. You gotta land on truth. You gotta land in the spirit. But many of us have not gone through the desert season. So our hearts still rest in Egypt. But our dreams are for Canaan. But if you're gonna get there, you're gonna have to learn to go through a place where God can change your heart. 
go through a season where it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I, watched, um, I watched people come to my house for a small group who had come for the first time, and you could tell that little awkward initial meeting, and kind of like, what? why are his walls orange? And <laughs> why is there African print everywhere? And it's like, but by the end of it, we're hugging and loving everybody because the enemy wants to get you scared of the tension. Come on, they're not going to like you. They're going to reject you. They're going to push you away just like everybody else. What if they don't? What, what, what if this is the thing that God's called you to? And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about whatever your desert season is. See, that's what consecration is all about. It's somewhat of a desert season where we're pulling back from food and everything in life to say, God, you and only you. That I want you more than I want Korean barbecue. <laughs> and I really want Korean barbecue. <laughs> that, Lord, I, I want you more. Do you want him more than your next breath? This is not an occupation for me. If it is, it's a bad choice. (laughs) You don't make money in this (laughs) one. But in days where it feels hard to go on, you know what keeps pushing me on? My love for him and his love for me. But I've gone through enough desert seasons to know that it's real. I didn't escape myself from the tension. I didn't, I didn't escape myself. I remember, I remember when I was a teenager and I started saying, Lord, I want to be free. I just want to be free. I, I used to go to every altar call, man. It didn't matter what the altar call was. And if you are a liar, come. If you're a cheater, come. I'm 15 years old. If you're an adulterer, I don't even know what that is. But. This true story, they had, this is kind of funny, not funny, but they had an altar call for people who had abortions. And then everybody was wondering, why were you at the altar? I was like, I just want to be close to him. And if you tell me he's up there, that's where I'm going to be. And if you tell me that he's showing up at 6 a.m. at 38, 320, whatever our address is on Saturday morning, that's where I want to be. And if it costs me everything, if it costs me friendships, if it costs me relation, if it costs me job opportunities, yeah. just want to be where he is. Can I ask you, where is God in your life? Where has he been trying to lead you? Some of us don't know because we don't care. We've grown numb to the things of God. And God is saying, you look saved. You look hungry. But I know your heart. Your heart's far from me. And you pray loud when you come to church. But I ain't heard you Monday through Saturday. You worship real hard on Sunday at 5. But I'd like you to worship on Monday at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah, you tell everybody about testimonies in Jesus when you come to church. But you've never shared your faith outside of this building. Because you look right. But your heart, friend, is far from me. I want to ask you where your heart is. Last scripture, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking to the church. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. My whole childhood... That scripture was quoted every time we had an evangelistic outreach. Some evangelists, little tubby, 
the wide round he'd get up brothers and sisters one day this life will be over and you don't know when I'm 13 years old like this is creepy if you were to walk outside those doors today and be hit by a bus would you spend eternity with Jesus and I'm just thinking I just don't want to be hit by a bus so uh, whatever you want it like okay accept Jesus go for it and they would end it by saying he's knocking on the door of your heart and if you'll just let him in and I thought man Jesus is knocking on the heart of every unbeliever and he's waiting to be let in until I read the scripture for myself in Revelation chapter 3 Jesus is not talking to unbelievers he's talking to churches can you believe that you can be a house of God without God Jesus is on the outside looking in and maybe maybe you put Jesus on the outside Rador came to my house last week for small group and um, I said oh you came early wait outside <laughs> I was like uh, I got to vacuum and clean a few last-minute things and I wonder if some of us leave Jesus on the outside because we're waiting to clean up our life a little bit more so then he can come in here's the, here's the thing baby boy he was born in a manger in a dirty place he don't mind being born again in a dirty place Or maybe you let Jesus in, but um, those of you who've been in my house, you know, something's going to be dirty. <laughs> living room might be clean. That means the kitchen's going to be dirty. Kitchen will be clean. Move the stuff out the way in the living room. I wonder if some of us have Jesus in the living room, but there's some other rooms he can't come in. You can say, Lord, all my spiritual life, prophecy, all that stuff, you can stay right here because I want to be more like you. You want to come into the room of my romantic relationship? A oh, fool. You're going to need a key for that. Oh, God, you want to come into the door where I regulate my finances and I decide what I spend my money on? And you want to, you want to tell me how to spend my money? I'm going to wait to preach this next week. But some of us are confused thinking that Jesus only is owed the 10%. He's owed the 100. It all belongs to him. You and I are simply stewards. Or maybe he's sitting in the living room chilling and, and the room that you won't let him in is that place where you were hurt. Yeah, that's what it is. Because Lazarus had been dead for four days. And the Bible said he stinks. And Jesus looks at Mary and Martha and says, I don't care about his condition. This is what he says. Show me where you laid him. Show me where you stopped believing. Show me where you rolled the stone over Lazarus and you said all hope is gone. If it hadn't been by day three, because most of the children of Israel believed that if you were dead up until three days, then you could be resurrected. But after the third day, it was, it was done. You're goner. So we've rolled the stone away. We've wrapped him up. We buried him. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, you could have healed him when he was dying. But you decided to go the opposite way in a direction where they didn't even like you. And you said you loved us? Yeah. So you better believe I rolled the stone away. Wow. And some of you didn't roll the stone on Lazarus, you rolled it on your dreams until you stopped believing. So I'm gonna just have a nice little job. As long as he's got good benefits and I can retire, yet God called you to missions. I, oof, I felt that right here. God is getting ready to resurrect 
the things if you'll take them to where you laid them. Yeah. And it's not always a location. Some of you laid them in 1994 oh. in your first divorce. So, some of you laid them back in Sunday school. Some of you laid them when you were a child and you were touched inappropriately. And there's some places that you, it stinks. No, no, no. Don't go in there, Jesus. It's dirty. I don't want you in that part. I want you in that part of my heart. Because if you get to that part, you might start exposing stuff. And people might start smelling my stink. Baby, I want to be a stinky church. I want to walk in here and smell everything. I want to smell homosexuality. I want to smell degradation. I want to smell alcoholism. I want to smell weed every now and then. I want to smell crack. Yes, I know what it smells like because I used to work in the tenderloin. I want to come in here and I want to smell deliverance because deliverance doesn't smell like a sweet little potpourri. Deliverance stinks. But I want to smell it. But not until you open up that part of your heart. What would happen in this church if every heart came alive? I know this is old school preaching, but what would happen if you stopped playing with God? What would happen if you would remember that one day this life is a vapor and it's going to end and you're going to stand before God to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and he's going to judge your works and he's either going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, I never knew you. But God, I knew you. Yeah, I didn't know you. Everybody knows Jesus. But does he know you? And I want to ask you, let's be honest, is he your first place, God? Or are you like the Philistines and you just keep rebuilding idols that he keeps breaking? He keeps trying to crush stuff and you keep trying to mold it back together. Friend, you're not smart enough. You're not deep enough. You're not knowledgeable enough to put your life back together. You were designed so that only the designer can put your life back together. When my phone messes up, I don't take it to Pastor Andrew. I don't take it to Jay Castro. You know where I take it? I take it straight back to Apple. I take it back to the manufacturer because if they made it, I just believe that they can fix it. And every now and then when it's something that they can't fix, they'll give me a new one. This is why he said, I'm not just going to redo your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to redo it. But does he have all your heart? Does he? Come on. No, no, no. Let's not play games. Does he have it all? Some of you watching online right now, you're listening to this, and it's just another sermon. Just, oh, this is good. This black man can preach. He's good looking. He's single. I'm going to DM him. Please do. Oh, you're listening. But it's not enough just to hear the word. The Bible says if you hear the word and walk away unchanged, you're like somebody who looks in the mirror and sees something's on their face and walks away like everything's good. And some of you actually think that you're, you're, you're a good enough actor or actress to fake it. I've got discernment. I just smile. I love that for you. You can fake man. You can fake me, fake Pastor Andrew, fake your leadership. You know who you can't fake? You can't fake the Lord. Because he knows what's in your heart. He, watch this. He knows who's in your heart. Stand with me. Did you just close your eyes all around this room? So he's going to sing in just a moment. But with every eye closed, I want you to take a minute and take inventory. Even those who are watching online, this is going to go off, but you, you take a moment, put some music on or something, and take inventory of what's in your heart. Nobody's looking around, just you and the Lord for just a moment. Come on and be honest with the Lord. Where are you? Have you grown numb? Have you grown hyper-independent? 
Have you stayed in your brokenness? Is there an area that God wants to change and shift that you've not allowed Him to change? Is there a room in your heart that He doesn't have permission to come into? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it with you. Take, take inventory. So he, just sing, sing for us for a moment. But take inventory of what's in your heart right now. Where are some areas where God's convicting you?